0: That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.
1: March 19th, 1931. There's a struggling little town in the middle of the Nevada desert. A few thousand people, not a lot of prospects. It's called Las Vegas. In 1931, things are not looking great for Vegas— One journalist writes this about the town. The beer that one buys in Las Vegas is not even good beer. The liquor one gets is of poor quality, and the gambling is weak and dispirited, just as one would expect in a town to which great throngs of men have come in search of jobs and failed to find them. Poor, struggling Vegas. But on this day in 1931, something is about to change. The dispirited gambling that journalists saw, it was illegal, happening underground. But on March 19th, the governor signs a new law, saying that the people of Las Vegas can bring their weak, dispirited gambling above board. The people of Vegas don't know it yet, but the ground has shifted beneath their feet. Their city has a new destiny.
2: You roll a rock down the mountain and you don't realize that you're creating an avalanche.
1: I'm Sally Helm, and this is History This Week. Today, the story of an almost ghost town that instead has become one of the most visited cities in the world
2: it is going to set trends for the United States and maybe the world that I doubt anyone at the time thought of.
1: How did Vegas become Vegas? Today, Las Vegas has a population of 2.3 million and more than 41 million people visit each year. It has millions of lights, pink neon sign of the Flamingo Hotel, the light-up fountains at the Bellagio, the mock Eiffel Tower right on the Strip. It's said that if you were to look at the Earth from space, Las Vegas is the brightest city you would see. Professor Michael Green grew up in this bright, chaotic spot on the planet. His dad was actually a dealer in a casino, and Professor Green told us that You know, his life is normal. It's not like he's playing blackjack every night in a tuxedo. He teaches at the University of Las Vegas. He hangs out with his family. But he said, sometimes you notice the ways that Vegas is weird. Just the little things.
2: We visit my wife's family in Portland, Oregon, and we come out into the airport. My wife turned to me and said, notice how quiet it is. No slot machines.
1: Professor Green is an expert in Vegas history. Going all the way back.
2: In Spanish, Las Vegas refers to the meadows. It's an oasis and it had an underground water supply, so it's a watering hole in the middle of the desert, which in certain ways it still is. In that regard, it hasn't changed much.
1: Las Vegas is on southern Paiute land. The first European settlers were Mormon missionaries in 1855, but they didn't stay long. Most people didn't.
2: People would stop here and route to somewhere else. And I like to say that Las Vegas originally was a place for people to stop and it became a place to go.
1: The first really big industry in Nevada was mining. It gets going in the mid 1800s.
2: Nevada's nickname is the Silver State. And we got the nickname because we had really the first successful silver mines in the United States. And a lot of the people who came here didn't want to be bothered. They wanted to go about their business, and their business was making money and having fun.
1: Even back then, fun included gambling.
2: Nevada actually had legalized gambling as of 1869, which was five years after statehood. And gambling was another way of the West trying to make a buck, make a living. Easterners might look and say, well, you know, we have the rail networks, we have the water networks, we have the good arable land, we don't need to do this. Westerners needed to look for something else. Westerners felt, I think correctly, that they had to make their own way. The government wasn't always there to help them.
1: Professor Green told us Nevada still has this independent libertarian streak— It goes back to those early days when ranchers and miners were trying to make a living in this solitary, tough environment. But as more people venture west, the state gets more and more settled. And at the turn of the 20th century, the tiny town of Las Vegas, with a population of fewer than 30, it starts to grow. Las
2: Vegas was founded as a town in 1905 because a
1: railroad had been built through here. The railroad brings jobs and people, though not that many people.
2: Las Vegas was small. The first census after the founding of the town in 1910 showed a population of 945. And the census taker who signed it also happened to be the town drunk. And I realized maybe there weren't 945 people. Maybe there (laughs) were 315 people he saw three times.
1: But Las Vegas is still a bustling town. It has these freewheeling Western roots, and the railroad guys want entertainment. So bars open, prostitution is happening, and there's gambling.
2: Gambling was just an extra added attraction, if you will, but not a major industry.
1: The major industry is railroads, and in the state as a whole, it's still mining. And there's a third big industry, kind of a weird one, divorce. Nevada's laws around divorce were more relaxed than the laws in other places. They had a shorter residency requirement. You only had to live there for six months before you were eligible to divorce. And so in the early 1900s, if a couple wanted to get out of a marriage quick, they came to Nevada. And that's exactly what the state wanted because those divorce seekers spent money on stuff like booze, prostitutes, and gambling. If they liked Nevada, they might even stay. But then there's a cultural backlash. A moral reform movement is sweeping the country. People are demanding a more ethical society. There's pressure to crack down on a lot of vices, including gambling. And in
2: 1910, all of a sudden, Nevadans eliminate gambling, and fewer people are coming to the state and spending money.
1: This is an economic blow. It means that this burgeoning industry stops growing. Now, the craps games don't shut down entirely.
2: Believe it or not, gambling went on even when it was illegal.
1: Same with alcohol, when that gets banned.
2: Prohibition was going on, and Las Vegas was as dry as the Atlantic Ocean.
1: All this means that Nevada can't rely on these vices for their money as much anymore. The state does still have mining and railroads and divorce. Nevada keeps their divorce laws lax even when moral reform is gripping the country. And then in the 1920s, moral reform starts to fade, and other states begin looking at Nevada and thinking, maybe we should get in on this divorce business
2: other states began reducing the residency requirement for divorce, which cut into Nevada's business.
1: Around the country, states are trying to outdo each other by making their residency requirements for divorce shorter and shorter. And so, with other states nipping at their heels, Nevada kind of gets nervous. Plus, by 1925, the railroad had shut down its Las Vegas machine shops and moved most of those jobs elsewhere. And then in 1929, the Great Depression hits. People all over the country are losing their money. Local economies are getting wiped out. Along with the rest of the country, Nevada's economy gets hit, especially its mining industry. Then in the summer of 1930, the federal government makes a decision that might really help Vegas. In the very heart of the Great Desert of the Southwest, the United States Department of the Interior was directed to proceed with the construction of this mightiest of dams. They're going to build the Hoover Dam. Hoover Dam's
2: construction, Las Vegas knew, was going to bring bodies here. People were going to have to build it. And the government had been surveying sites, and the sites were close enough to Las Vegas, where Las Vegas actually thought the workers would live here.
1: People around the country are desperate for work, and Vegas is saying, come live here. You can get a job here building the dam. They were kind of exaggerating, though, maybe doing some wishful thinking, because the dam was over 30 miles away, which is far, especially in the 1930s. But people came to Vegas looking for work, thousands of them. And once they arrived, the jobs they'd been promised weren't there. And then Vegas politicians were like, yikes, we need to find an industry that can employ all these people we lured to our city because we want them to stay. Now, even the towns that do have jobs from the Hoover Dam, even they're worried because they think these jobs are just temporary construction jobs. Our towns will do great for a while, but then all these people will leave. And Nevada had seen that happen. Because mining, the main industry, has these really intense highs and lows. A lot of money, then no money.
2: A boom is great, but what happens when the boom goes bust? And the answer is Nevada's in serious trouble.
1: Sometimes whole towns would disappear.
2: Those boom towns can go bust very quickly. And ghost towns are a big thing in rural Nevada. People love to go traversing the wilderness looking at little towns that aren't really there anymore. And I think Las Vegas sensed it could happen here.
1: So the local governments have to figure out how do we create an industry that can last?
2: And gambling was here already. They knew something about it and other states did discuss legalizing gambling. Nevada was the only one that did it.
1: On March 19th, 1931, the Nevada governor signs that law, bringing commercial gambling out into the open. It is going to change the future of the state in a huge way. But Las Vegans kind of don't notice. The main newspaper, the Evening Review Journal, covers it, but they don't make a really big deal out of it. And in
2: fact, the editor of the paper wrote a column essentially saying, it's going to be helpful, but don't get overly excited about it.
1: Other papers at the time say that Reno is really going to be the place for, quote, superior entertainment. It's the big city. Not much was expected from little Las Vegas. It all
2: kind of goes to the idea that, you know, you don't really know you're in a hurricane if you're in the eye because you can't see the rest of the hurricane. And I think that there was a hurricane that day and they were all in the eye and not really noticing it.
1: But some people will see Vegas' potential and the potential that gambling has to change Nevada. At this time in 1931, there's a rumor that a certain prominent businessman was pushing for this law.
2: Alphonse Capone. Hmm, is that Al Capone? As in old Scarface himself. And there were reports later, and I think Capone encouraged this, that he had sent money with which to, uh, how shall we put this, lubricate the legislature.
1: Gambling is big business for the mob around the country, but not in Vegas, at least not at first.
2: It's a slow growth trajectory, frankly, for, I'd say, the first 10, 15 years. The change that you begin to see is in the late 1930s.
1: That's when California cracks down on gambling, and so mobsters there have to move. And we're better than the neighboring state where gambling is actually legal. So the mob comes to Nevada. And many end up not in the big city of Reno, but in Vegas, where there's lots of open land they can build on. And when one particular New York mobster comes to town, things really take off.
2: Bugsy Siegel had grown up on the Lower East Side of New York. He beat up people. He shot people. He made his name doing that. And like a lot of other people in that line of work, he wanted to be respectable. He really wanted to become a legitimate businessman.
1: But up until this point, Siegel is mostly not so legitimate. Professor Green told us that in some ways, Siegel's story is typical of his time.
2: Siegel belongs to the generation of the late 19th and early 20th century immigrants or children of immigrants, especially southern and eastern European, mostly Italian or Slavic Jews. They don't have the opportunities that might be available to native-born Americans, so they often wind up with the lowest-paying jobs nobody wants or the highest-paying jobs nobody wants. And the highest-paying jobs nobody wants are the jobs that get you in trouble,
1: In the mid-1940s, Siegel comes to Vegas for some horse betting. That's where you could control the race wire. In other words, rig the game to win. He's just passing through, but then he sees a dream opportunity, gambling. He realizes he can make money this way legally. So with the mob backing him, he opens the Flamingo in 1946.
2: Which becomes the first true luxury resort And we're off to the races.
1: This is when Las Vegas, as we know it, really begins. It no longer has this small-town gambling scene with an Old West theme, saddles for bar stools. It's starting to get big, ritzy, luxurious. Opening night at the Flamingo sees Hollywood celebrities, big-time entertainers. And the strip is only going to get bigger and ritzier as time goes on. But Siegel, he actually doesn't get rich.
2: Siegel was a lousy businessman. And the Flamingo was not a success at first. He apparently had stolen some money. He was not really operating the place well. And eventually, he becomes the victim of a hostile takeover.
1: In other words, he gets murdered.
2: He's in Beverly Hills. It was a nice evening. The windows were open. And he's apparently sitting on the couch reading the evening paper when a gun or guns come in through the window and filled him full of lead. Who did it? Aha! Now you're asking the tough question. We really do not know with certainty who did it, and that makes it typical of murders involving gangsters.
1: So Siegel is gone. Other mobsters with more business experience take over the Flamingo. And they open more hotels and casinos. Eventually, they're turning a really good profit.
2: We tend to forget organized crime isn't just guys shooting one another. It's also figuring out how to make money. And there are people from organized crime where you could have put them into government positions or on Wall Street, and they would have done just as well, maybe better.
1: And the mob made a lot of money in Las Vegas.
2: The mob has its finger in almost every hotel casino on the Strip. They are the ones who essentially lay the foundation for what we have today.
1: But mob rule doesn't last forever.
2: The problem was that because they were involved in so many illegal activities, they really could not move, as they hoped, from the illegal world to the legal world.
1: Ultimately, by the late 60s and early 70s, they're bought out by people with clean, legitimate money.
2: But I don't know that without the foundation they laid, I don't know that it would be possible to have the Las Vegas that the world thinks it knows today.
1: A Vegas of celebrities and generally high-flying life. From Frank Sinatra and the Rat Pack through Celine Dion and Mike Tyson— The Vegas Strip has seen basically every famous person in the country pass through. And it's become the center of Nevada's economy. It makes $6 billion annually. That's just the Strip.
2: There's money to be made. To the point that today, 48 states have legal gambling of some form or another. Las Vegas was, for some people consciously, for some unconsciously of course, a template So in its own way, it's been a laboratory. For other places, this is what a service economy is like.
1: Nevada has shown that you can base an entire economy on tourism. It's by far the biggest industry in the state, and it's also become a huge industry across the country. In 2018, travelers spent nearly $1.1 trillion in the US. Gambling saved Vegas. This little town in the desert is no longer in danger of disappearing. In fact, nearly three-quarters of the state's residents call it home. And as for the gambling, Frank Sinatra once said, Las Vegas is the only place I know where money really talks. It says goodbye. Thanks for listening to History This Week. For more moments throughout history that are also worth watching, check your local TV listings to find out what's on history today. This podcast is produced by McKamey Lynn, Julie Magruder, and me, Sally Helm. Our editor and sound designer is Dan Rosado, and our researcher is Emma Fredericks. Our executive producers are Jesse Katz and Ted Butler. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review History This Week wherever you get your podcasts, and we will see you next week.